you're going to change the company for the better. You're the next generation. You're going to bring in the next wave of success. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Well, that's just the way we've always done things here. Have you ever heard those words inside of your company? Sometimes it's easiest to just keep doing what you've been doing one day at a time, especially when you're leading a second or third generation family-owned business. But as the best leaders of these businesses know, you need to have your eyes on the horizon if you expect your company to be standing when the next generation is ready to take the reins. My guest today will share her advice on the topic as she leads her family-owned manufacturing business into the future. Let me introduce her. An experienced industry leader, Michelle Acosta is the Vice President of Operations and Marketing at Acosta Sheet Metal Manufacturing, Inc., a family-owned sheet metal manufacturer based in San Jose. Michelle was named one of the Silicon Valley Business Journal's 2022 Women of Influence and was appointed to the Sheet Metal and Air Conditioning Contractors National Association Bay Area Chapter Board of Directors. Michelle is a seasoned marketing professional with extensive experience in outreach within the manufacturing space. In her spare time, she serves at 99 Bridges, a sustainable data exchange company. So Michelle, you are a third generation leader of a family owned manufacturing business. And I think it's always interesting for our listeners to kind of hear the origin stories a little bit and you know hear about the people behind the business. Can you tell us how your grandfather got started and sort of how the business has evolved all the way to the point at which you know, you're one of the leaders of it now as, as a third generation family member? Yeah, so you know, I guess we could go back just to 1972 when he started the business, but a little bit before that, maybe might be good as well. And then, so my grandfather born in 1934, and then fast forward two decades or so, transitioned into the sheet metal industry. So even before across the sheet metal manufacturing, he was a sheet metal worker, worked at another company and was a high-level manager and just went up the ranks. Wonderful. However, the management style, we'll call it that, or, or the way that ownership was progressing, the business just wasn't it didn't align with his morals and his ethics. And that's something that's really, really important to him. And so even though he, he stayed for a long time, even though he knew it just, it wasn't a fit. My late grandmother actually told him, oh, you, know, you do everything here anyway. So why don't you just have your own company? Mm-hmm. And him being the humble guy he is never, that never crossed his mind. <laughs> and so finally, I feel like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And so I, I learned actually just in the last couple of years that it ended up being the house I grew up in was the house that he, my late grandmother and his children were living in where he started the business. He literally just one day decided, well, the phone book is published on February 2nd, 1972. That's the day I'm going to, I'm going to commit <laughs> and start the business. And he did. Then he rolled up the garage doors and it was official. It was terrifying for him because, you know, that morals and ethics 
background is really important because he didn't take any business from his previous employer. He really was like, I'm just going to start fresh and start new. It's kind of like a entrepreneur startup, <laughs> startup founder, right? But like 50 years ago. And people went looking for him. They literally searched him out and found out that he was doing his own thing. And that's kind of the history. That's where it all started. And then he went from the house to a location on 10th Street. And the buildings are still there in downtown San Jose. And then in 1996, we have the building that we have today, and we moved there. And we have been growing from the inside literally ever since to the point where it's like, wow, okay, we're running out of space <laughs> in the best way possible. Pretty amazing. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. It's, it's amazing how many people I talk to that have similar stories where it started in the garage or the basement or the backyard or, or whatever. And, and then one day you, you look around and you've got this huge operation and all these people working for you and loyal customers and all, all feels like it happens pretty fast, but it's, it's cool. Yeah. And I've been obviously in the business literally for so many years. And there's so many people that have seen me grow up, right. I've, I've been with my grandfather since day one and seeing their second and third generation now in the businesses. And it's, it's really interesting and it's really amazing. So Michelle, I appreciate you sharing your story of kind of the family's history. I'm curious to hear how do you fit into the picture? You know, was the plan always for Michelle Acosta to as third generation, you know, family member to take over or did you, you know, how, how did you kind of find your way into a leadership role along the way? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, like I, like you said, I'm third generation. Um, I'm the only woman in my generation of the family and and I didn't really fit in. I kind of made myself a spot, if that makes sense. Because no, it wasn't expected. I didn't even expect, you know, myself to to say, you know, I thought I was going to go high tech or, you know, whatever, right? Being a Silicon Valley native, that's, that was the trajectory. <laughs> and yeah, it's been a really interesting road. I will say that I never, I never really thought about it as it was happening. So you're probably like, what do you mean by that? You know, meaning when I started I know I've been on payroll for what, like 15 years at this point, something like that. And, you know, in the beginning, it's just, you're just kind of going, I started out as a receptionist, right? So I've always just kind of been helping out. And then there I am in the lobby, answering phones and, you know, doing all that sort of thing that we used to do years ago. And it just kind of, I just found needs and things, needs that need to be met and, and where there were gaps, things like being in, the, being in our customer service office or inside sales office. We were shorthanded and I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go in there. And I taught myself how to use our system and how to type of orders and all that sort of stuff. So then I started learning about product. Then we were shorthanded in shipping receiving at one point. And I'm like, well, I'll go out there. So then I did. And I was out there for like a year and a half or so. And an injury took me out. But regardless, I was out there and, and I learned the product. I made relationships with customers, right? Because there's people that are there more than once a day. It's crazy. And, and when you see people you, and you talk with them, you, you build those relationships. And then I came back inside and really started learning product and just became just another valuable member of our team, right? A, a really valuable member of our team. I had a lot of knowledge. And so I just kind of held on to reaching for that, right? Always trying to reach for more information, more knowledge. How can I be a better source of the customer? And so Ultimately, it became less about, I mean, maybe for my grandfather, <laughs> it's always been about, it, you know, me being his granddaughter and his little girl, right? And he's, he's like my dad. But for everybody else, that, that became less and less of the thing, right? And, and the reason why I'm saying all of this and in the way I'm saying it is because, you know, whether it's a family business or not, but you feel as though, you know, how can I 
how can I level up? How can I become more valuable? How can people see me differently? You know, right? Like I'm, I literally have been around people that are working there today have known me since I was like five. <laughs> okay. So they have really had to see me or I've had to show my transformation. I've had to prove my value. I've had to earn it. And so that's something that, you know, women, that is a whole different, it's a topic on its own. And like I, like I'll mention, you know, DEI is a whole other topic on its own, but I kind of look at it from the lens of how can you just be valuable? How can you make yourself somebody that your organization absolutely has to have, mm. right? How can you prove that the way you look at things, how you do things, how you work with us, like you need not only internally, but like, let's say in my position being customer service, right? That's starting from there. How have, how did I make myself, or I always look at, how can I make myself somebody that my customer needs, right? How, how do I make it so they look for me? Because they know that if I don't know the answer, I'm going to find it and I'm going to you know, do what I promise and all that sort of stuff. So, so whether it's in manufacturing, whether you're in the HVAC sector or whatever, you need to do whatever it takes to make yourself valuable. You know, watch the YouTubes. For me, I went on job sites. I mean, I did everything I possibly could because, you know, having a mentor is a luxury. Being mentored is a luxury. You know, that luxury, I've never had that, me personally, but there are resources out there. Mentors, mentorship can be by you know, reading, watching, listening. I mean, you name it. And so here we are, fast forward, you know, I have this, you know, VP title <laughs> and all that. I'm in a, I'm in the position and have a title that was never, never in the book for me to have that, but I decided to offer my, and so now I've written I have written it in the history of of across manufacturing to be where I'm at. And so I just kind of want to want to mention all those things because regardless of introvert, extrovert, whatever, you can create value for yourself and be absolutely necessary. And and to me, and this isn't, I'm not measuring myself. This is based on people inside across manufacturing and outside. Gosh, Michelle, we're so, so glad you're in this position. You know, people that report to me, right? Gosh, Michelle, you're like the nicest manager, boss, whatever you know, we've ever had. And gosh, you know, I know I can turn to you. I know you're going to find, and you're going to help me, and you're going to find answers to our problems. You know, and customers. And like, gosh, yeah, you're going to you're going to change the company for the better. You're the next generation. You're going to bring in the next wave of success. And not only for cost manufacturing, but just for our industry. And like, that's a very heavy weight. And sometimes, you know, that imposter syndrome kicks in. But now that I'm really starting to just own it and just accept where, where things are. It's great. And even my grandfather <laughs> in 2022, when he just had his 88th birthday is like, yeah, they grown up. <laughs> and I know that sounds so ridiculous, but it's just something that I know, especially in our industry, we have a lot of family businesses nationwide. And I just want to say to all those people out there, don't give up, make yourself valuable. People will see it. Love that. Great advice. So Michelle, my understanding from our previous conversation is that you are operating in a very commodity driven market. And I, as an agency owner in the manufacturing sector, we do marketing for a variety of different types of companies, but you know, we work with some who are very you know, heavy engineering, super custom products, long sales cycles. And then we have other companies we've worked with that maybe, you know, a steel pipe distributor, for example, where it's it's more about, do you have what I need? Can you get it to me cheaper than the other guy and buy tomorrow? And and I 
you know, I, I think that when you're in that world, it's, it's tougher to, as you, as you, you know, I'm sure have experienced and the generations before you running the business have experienced, it can be tough to differentiate yourself in a commodity driven market. You got to be, you know, you need to be crushing it on customer service. You need to be just so buttoned up. And you guys obviously have done a lot of things right over the years. You're still standing and doing well after three generations of of ownership. So I'm just kind of curious to hear from from your perspective, like what what are the things that maybe you guys have done or that a business can do when they're in a commodity driven space to make it more than just make it about more than just price when you, you're talking to your prospects and customers? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting too how the industry just in general has evolved. You know, of course, we're not the first or the oldest manufacturer, not even in our area per se. You know, there's some of our, our companies are have been around for you know 50 or 52 or 48 years. You know, so so we're part we're part of a big industry. And you know, back in the day, well, first of all, right, if you think about from the very 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 beginning, less saturation, right, less buildings were physically here 50 years ago when we started. So you know, competition was different. How we differentiate ourselves obviously was different. However, fast forward, you know, 50 years later, and obviously given the circumstances we were in in 2020 until until today, you know, the circumstances are still there in terms of supply chain issues and stuff. I know one one key thing that we have that we supply for our customers that has absolutely differentiated ourselves is that we we can deliver within a week or within a couple of days or even sometimes same day. So even though something like spiral pipe or adjustable elbows, or you know, whatever other product line we have, maybe somebody else can make it, but you're going to have to wait for it. You know, so one thing that some customers are telling us that, like right now are like, you know, yeah, you know, we just love that not only your pricing is now super, super consistent, so they don't, they don't deal with the ebb and flow, right? It's just this is what it is, and it stays there until, you know, labor and material has significant increases, and they love that. Customers are loving that, yeah, we can get, you know, a delivery, like several box trucks or big truckloads worth of product within a matter of days. And like I said, we even make, we'll make a run for a customer in an emergency situation within the, within the day, you know, of course, based on time and what have you. So, so that's been great. And I touched on pricing. That's been, that's been a key thing. And, and not that we're trying to, we're not trying to race to the bottom. That's definitely not our goal. Uh, you can't anyways, if you put quality first. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I know our customers have really appreciated that throughout the years, and my grandfather, no matter what, has prioritized from day one. And then even, you know, now, even though now I'm the one kind of making those those judgment calls or those decisions, quality is first. You know, what we put out there is our names, and that's really, really important. And then customer service and really prioritizing being a partner, basically, for the project that your customer is doing. You know, so it's like, how can we almost be an extension of, of, of them? You know, of course, we're not necessarily... The, we're not the the contractor for the GCs or like the landowners or anything like that, but like mechanical contractors or let's say like smaller general contractors, you know, how can we basically operate in a way where we're your right hand? You, know, you can give us a call, ask questions, or, hey, gosh, I need this, or can you do this? And we're on it, just like it would be if it was somebody on their own team. So I know that's a that's a huge benefit for sure. So Michelle, I imagine another another thing you're always trying to do again in sort of a, a commodity driven environment is, you know, looking for efficiencies wherever you can find them and not necessarily cost cutting and, and, you know, just doing everything the cheap way, but there's always ways to maybe do things more efficiently. So can you talk about how that's manifested itself in your own business? Yeah. You know, one thing that, that some might appreciate that are listening to this is, 
people that are, you know, at the high, high level of running the company like I am is, you know, you, you inherit a lot of things, especially for a company that's 50 years old. Everything from, all right, well, we got into this, like I said, our building, we got into in 1996. So it's been quite some time. And, you know, unless you have people dedicated, I mean, really, really dedicated to always analyzing processes, always, always looking at efficiencies and not just in the shop and not just, you know, in the office or in the administrative side. I mean, it's, it's the whole business, right? And, and so that's something because we've had, had a pretty drastic change in, in management. And, you know, for me now being in that seat, I look at it, like you said, it's not just about cost cutting. It's just looking at the big picture and going, wait, but hold on, are we doing everything the best, most efficiently we can just period, right? Everything from reducing costs to increasing safety, right? All of these things are a factor. So I know a big project that we're going to be talking about. Actually, I've been noticing it. We're part of SmackNet, the trade association, and I'm seeing a lot of people are kind of looking at reorganizing their shops and, and that sort of thing. I know people have been there and done that before. You know, for us, it's a pretty, pretty big project, and we're excited about it because we really want to refine because if we can be more refined and more efficient, of course, costs will go down. Output can increase, you know, lead times decrease, you know, all that stuff is all of those factors are things that our customers are looking for. Even for our customers that have their own shops and then, you know, they have a really big job where they can come to us and we can be like, yeah, we can do it in three to five days, no problem. It's just, it's something that's really, really important that is a really, it's a heavy lift for a company with our sort of tenure. And I know we're not alone. I know a lot of other companies are addressing that as well, but it's, it's exciting to look at those efficiencies and to really get into the weeds of the shop and the layout and, and how our producers are actually producing. You know, it's probably, it's amazing how you, you kind of just, I've been running my business for over 16 years and sometimes you look around and you're like, what, why are we, why are we doing that? Or why are we doing that that way? Well, that's just how we've always yeah. done it. Right. And and it's easy to fall into right. that trap, but when you really put, take a proactive approach to looking at uh, what sort of process efficiencies you could put in place, or like you said, in your world, probably safety is, is huge. You know, you improve safety, not only do you improve the, the, the workplace and the environment and keep people safe, but you find ways to, you know, that will naturally impact the effectiveness of what you're doing and people keeping people working. And so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the, I imagine those are just all the things you need to be looking at when, you know, it, otherwise you wind up just in that, that, on that hamster wheel of racing to the bottom on price. One thing that's really interesting about going through, you know, the process of reevaluating your processes, right. And finding efficiencies is re-engaging with your team. So, you know, one thing like we have, we have people that have been with us for 25 years, right. We've celebrated a handful of 25 year anniversaries just in the last few years. Um, but when you are looking at your processes with fresh eyes, especially someone like myself, you know, I have no problem admitting or, or saying to the world that, you know, I've never been in the trade myself. I haven't you know, produced what we make, right, with my own hands, and that's fine. But those that have, it's really interesting to see after doing things a certain way for so long, you really do just kind of get used to it. You don't see things the same way anymore, or you don't see them at all, is really, I guess, how I'd like to say that. And so even when it comes to our admin team, you know, helping everybody kind of like relearn how to how to engage, how to look, how to listen, relearn how to learn also. It's kind of helping everybody to help me, right, and help the company become more efficient because now they're starting to open their eyes and say, oh, wow, why do I do that this way? Or why do I approach that with that sort of mindset? Or, you know, I, I mean, I could, the list goes on, right? So I've been actually really, really excited and having a great time 
working with our employees and helping them actually re-engage with what they do. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, for the leaders out there watching this, it's like, if your employees can help you, you know, find the problems, which to me, I, I love finding the problems because all it does is give me all of the areas to improve and then we'll just get better and better and better. And my team helping me do that helps speed up these improvements, right? And in, in the construction world, time is money. <laughs> so the faster we can get to points of improvement, the better. And it's been, it's been really, really interesting. Even with some of our employees, you know, that have that 20 year, or, you know, 15, 10 year tenure, it's been great. Michelle, I know you've put a lot of time and energy and investment into modernizing your technology stack. Can you give some examples of what you've done on that front and just speak to the impact that's had? Yeah, we've done everything as rudimentary as, you know, migrating over our our email system and that whole thing. <laughs> it's, it's a little raw. So, and I know we should have done it a long time ago, but that's that's one thing. And that's, like I said, efficiencies, right? Every single thing you can do to make your job or make job functions have less friction, the better people will perform and the better outcomes you're just going to get all together. Another thing that we implemented somewhat recently, well, yeah, I think it's been about been just about a year now. We have been talking about it for a long time, but finally, right, just pulling the plug, making the commitment is implementing a CRM system. And that's been exciting as well, you know, teaching, teaching our people what, you know, what that is what its capabilities are and building it together. I'm, I'm the one on the back end working with, you know, developers and what have you. And, and we're working with HubSpot, you know, and, and HubSpot support, right? And just like really diving in there and, and getting into the nitty gritty of it. And I know some other, some of our other customers and, and clients have been doing this, a similar thing. So it's really interesting to see kind of like the timing and how we're ebbing and flowing with everybody else. But yeah, so the CRM, that's a big one. I know we're, I don't want to say too much, but we are looking at migrating some of our other systems because ultimately the way I look at it is every single thing you do, whether it's modernizing your tech stack or whatever product lines you offer, right? It all comes down to the customer. And at the end of the day, are you offering what your customer wants and are you making their experience with you as frictionless as possible? And then obviously, how can you keep your know, overhead and cost down? And that's what's driving all of our decisions right now. And as we ask ourselves that question, we go, wow, we have a lot of room for improvement. <laughs> but now that we've been able to have these success stories, like, okay, we've implemented the CRM and we're able to keep track of, you know, RFQs and see where they are in the pipeline. Everybody gets to see it, right? Everybody gets to see it live and everybody knows the status of everything. They don't have to go call five people and, and search the papers and all this sort of stuff. It's incredible how much that has increased our efficiencies, even just on an internal, like a, sorry, I should say a more administrative side. And I'm going to take that mindset into the shop and also in, in bigger things, bigger tech oriented things. And that is, will be announced, you know, hopefully within the next couple of months, because it's going to change the game for us. And I'm very excited. That's great. And well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're, you're a HubSpot user. We've been a partner agency of them for probably close to a decade now and best in class awesome. tool. So yeah, that's, it's glad yeah. to see you're using it. Michelle, I, I almost always ask my guests in some capacity just about how labor issues have affected their respective businesses in recent years. Everybody's felt that pain in some way. You, you told me on our last call that one of your most successful recruiting venues has been Facebook, which was is interesting. I'm just kind of curious to hear about maybe what you've done in that front or other places where you've had success with, you know, especially those frontline workers. Yeah, let's see. I think it would be, it's good for me to kind of describe to what the different types of workforce that we have in terms of, you know, like we're union, right? So mm -hmm. the union and shop production is different than administrative, of course, and, and so on. So 
basically the structure that we have is of course we have administrative side and then you know, it's our customer service rep, you know, myself, right, whatever. And then you have all of our production staff. And now our particular company is really unique in that we're, I think, the only or one of the only union companies that have what they decided to define a split union. So we have the building trades. You know, you'll actually see red, white, and blue colored stickers on product that, you know, this is a building trades person. They went through an apprenticeship. And they're even the union and they recruit and they, they're working really hard and trying to get people, trying to get labor, sign up basically. And then you have what we call, or what's called the blue label. So that means these people are, are technically union members, but they don't go through an apprenticeship. So they're technically not building trades. So, but because they're under the same roof, they have to be paying union dues and whatnot. So they're making, and by non-building trades, this is like gutter on your house, right? Or like multifamily or even just single family homes. You have the roof flashing, things like that. What re- what's required for building trades is a whole nother topic, it's a whole nother thing. But so we have these two different types of labors, basically. And I have found great success. Like I've had zero issue in the last two years hiring for our what we call blue label. I literally have put out Facebook ads and I get a return, a healthy return for me. Because I, like I said, I've never had an issue finding somebody, you know, like let's say we'll get, Maybe the number might be 20 or 30 applicants, everything from a production worker to delivery driver. You know, and remember, all of them have to end up being union workers, but finding them and sourcing them has just been, I, I mean, like I've literally had no issue. And so I've utilized Facebook and social media for recruiting. And then I've also used, and I'm, and I'm really, this kind of goes into like maybe, maybe a DE&I kind of topic of like, what other pools can you source from for labor? And I am... I'm, real, I'm proud to say, and I'm really happy that I can say that we've used what's called, and I hope I get the term correct, called social enterprise. So the organization that we've sourced people from is called CEO Works, and they're a you know, national organization. And what they do is they basically take people, and it could be somebody who maybe they got like a DUI five years ago or something, and you know now they can't get a job, or it's really, really difficult. And so these organizations, they take people that have a record or they've been incarcerated, right? And the crimes vary, you know, all the stuff, I get it. And it's a really sensitive topic. So I'm, I'm going to be as, I'm going to be careful as I talk about this, but, you know, you have people with these, with these backgrounds that are basically making it so they can't find work. Mm-hmm. And that evolves in other issues, right? Well, this, these organizations, they take these people and, you know, they filter through and they see who they can basically retrain and train for jobs, whether it be administrative work or like in our case, production work. And we've absolutely utilized that as a resource. You know, you get to get to kind of refine because you know there's certain there's certain things that you simply can't have in a background for certain for certain roles. But like for production or let's say janitorial or, or whatever, I don't know. I've just kind of looked looked for people and with a really really open mind, and I have yet to regret it, right? So we have people on site right now that we've hired from CEO Works, and I'm just so, so glad that we have that opportunity to give somebody a second chance. And they're some of our best workers, to be honest with you. So that's that's another avenue that I always like to kind of plug in because work work is out, or workforce is out there. You have to be open and really have an open mind of where you find them, where you find people. So that's something that has absolutely made it so we virtually have no issue hiring. On the building trade side, it's a little different because, you know, with the apprenticeship and going through, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot more 
hoops to jump through. So that's kind of different. So I won't get into that. But those two avenues have made it to where I virtually have had, like I said, no issues. And then, of course, there's referrals and, and everybody loves to recommend us because we're great employers. We treat our people really well, even though we're small. Well, Michelle, really appreciate you doing this today. It's been a great conversation. And you know, I, I just love having different types of manufacturing leaders on here to share their perspective. Everybody has you know, different backgrounds and different stories to tell. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. You bet. Can you tell our listeners kind of how they can get in touch with you and learn more about Acosta Sheet Metal Manufacturing? Yeah. So Acosta Manufacturing is, you know, of course, it's online, it's on social media, we're on YouTube. And then myself, I am an active LinkedIn user. So you can find me, you know, of course, you can search Acosta Sheet Metal Manufacturing, search my name. And I'd love to connect with you. Anybody, and I love when people reach out to me and message me, you know, hey, can I get advice or what do you think about this? Or I'd love to just, you know, chit chat, whatever. I'm open. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Well, Michelle, thanks again. Thank you. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>